The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a lot to cover, but I have one little exercise in media malfeasance. Let's take a little journey down media malfeasance row. Let's take a trip. Story in the NBC News uh, over the weekend. Three boys at Christian school allegedly cut black girls' dreadlocks. Now, this was reported with NBC Washington so let's try, to, let's try to start off by reading this story, much like those 22-year-old pimple-faced uh, news anchors coming up on local TV do. It was a sunny, warm afternoon when Amari Allen was heading to school. Three sixth-grade white boys at a Christian school in Virginia where Vice President Mike Pence's wife works cut a black girl's hair, calling it nappy and calling her ugly. Amari Allen, 12 years old, told NBC Washington that she was about to go down the slide during recess at Emanuel Christian School in Springfield on Monday when one of the boys grabbed her hair and put his hand over her mouth. The second boy grabbed her arms, while the third cut off some of her dreadlocks. Like all three were around me, and then one of them put my hands behind my back, one of them covered my mouth. They were kept on laughing and calling me names and everything. What kind of names were they calling you? Ugly. Uh, I shouldn't have been born. I. <laughs> they called me like a attention seeker over. <laughs> this is painful. And then that's when someone pulled out scissors. Mm-hmm. And how did they, how did they use them on you? Like they like took like big chunks of my hair and just cut. And yeah. Where yep. were the teachers? What were the other kids doing? The other kids were playing. They didn't even know that anything was happening. And the teacher was assessing another situation. No one, no one else is on the slide. No. So three kids at a Christian school end up cutting this girl's dreadlocks off. And then the news media takes it nationally. A disturbing story tonight involving a school outside Washington, D.C. Police in Northern Virginia are investigating after a 12-year-old African-American girl said three white classmates pinned her down and cut her dreadlocks. A black sixth grader says that she was pinned down by white classmates who mocked her and cut her hair. A 12-year-old Virginia girl says she is traumatized. She was pinned down by white classmates who cut her hair. Her white classmates pinned her down and cut her dreadlocks. Her classmates called her hair ugly and nappy as they pinned her down and cut several of her dreadlocks. Today, the girl and her family told us about what they're calling a racist attack. Hey, the girl says she's been bullied by the same boys before. It's very disturbing about these boys because it's heartbreaking and traumatizing for that little girl. The wife of the vice president, Mike Pence, she teaches there. Karen Pence teaches art part-time at Emanuel. Second lady Karen Pence teaches art part-time there. Incidents like this, they're not isolated. They're happening way too often. Uh, You know what's really sad is that she didn't tell her family for a couple of days. She didn't. She didn't. They just noticed that her hair was shorter, and they asked her about it, and she broke down. Because it was too upsetting. It was too upsetting, yeah. I totally understand that. The school told CNN those involved in the incident will be out of school while police continue their investigation. We had all of that happen, and then that's where the politicians jump in. Rashida Tlaib, you are beautiful, Amari Allen. You are courageous and strong. You are loved. You see, Amari, you may not feel it now, but you have a power that threatens their core. I can't wait to watch you use it and thrive. Say, Stay strong. Of course, you may have caught in the original headline, the real narrative to the story. That was the narrative NBC pushed. 
Three boys at Christian school where Karen Pence teaches allegedly cut black girls dreadlocks. Well, somehow Karen Pence, Mike Pence's wife, was going to be blasted for this. They might have even gotten Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, just because it happened at some school. May not, may not have been a government school, but just because it happened with the school system in a school setting, Betsy DeVos probably held her down while Karen Pence came over and cut the dreads off. Now, this is where the story takes a turn. This is why you have to wait a couple hours when a story like this comes out. Because so far, you had the local news you know, reporting their story. You have the, the girl in question being interviewed, being propped up, and then you have it go national. And suddenly everybody's reporting on it. That's when the gaslighting begins because that's when the politicians jump in. That's when the Hollywood actors and actresses, that's where the entertainment artists come in, music singers, hip-hop artists, they all come in to weigh in and say, let's support Amari Allen. You know, she's courageous and strong. Only a couple of days later, CNN, a 12-year-old African-American girl who claimed three white classmates pinned her down and cut her dreadlocks, said she made the story up, her school says. Uh, when do you apologize to Karen Pence, firefighters? CNN? NBC? Now, if you go to NBC's website, they got a little link to the correction. It's at the top. Who even knows if anybody's even going to take the time to go look at the link? Um, I don't think they probably will spend the time to do it. But that's what we're dealing with. Molly Hemingway uh, chimed in. The girl's family apologized today for the 12-year-old's completely false report. Corporate media were too willing to run with it and smear the school community before checking the facts as usual. So then, a statement of apology from the family of the 12-year-old African-American girl who admits now she made a false assault allegation against three white boys in her class, was then released to the public. And it basically stated, to those young boys and, and, uh, and their parents, we sincerely apologize for the pain and anxiety these allegations have caused. To the administrators and the family of Emanuel Christian School, we are sorry for the damage this incident has done to trust within the school family and the undue scorn it has brought the school. To the broader community, who rallied in such passionate support for our daughter, we apologize for betraying your trust. We understand there will be consequences, and we are prepared to take responsibility for them. We know that it will take time to heal, and we hope and pray that the boys, their families, and the school, and the broader community will be able to give us some time. Yes, another incident. This is, this is just like that incident that we talked about where the congresswoman, or I guess she was a state senator in Florida, ran into that guy in the, uh, in the, in the self-checkout line, and he was mad that she was going in with uh, 15 items and the 10 items or less. He told me to go back to where I came from, all because Trump's rhetoric was influential. You know, that whole lie where... The, well, Trump told the squad to go back to the countries where they came from. And so all these people are telling me, go back to where I came from. It's the same BS. I mean, this right here is Ahmed the Clock Kid. Remember Ahmed the Clock Kid shows up with a pencil case and a digital, out, a digital clock that looks like the TV show 24? Wires hanging out of it? He goes around from classroom to classroom. Teachers tell him, ah, I would put that in the, uh, you know over there in your locker. I wouldn't bring that. And he goes to every single classroom until he gets pulled out of the classroom. And they wanted to say, well, it's because he's Muslim. Doesn't look like a bomb or anything. You had Obama going online. Hey, Ahmed, great clock. NASA's hitting him up on Twitter. Hey, we're going to give you a gig once you graduate. And come to find out his dad was some activist from a Muslim country. And then they all of a sudden move, what is it, to, uh, to Qatar? I mean, this is all narrative crafting. This is Trayvon Martin, the 11-year-old in the school pictures on the news. Oh, he's just going to get Skittles when a white Hispanic guy in the neighborhood shot and killed him because he was black. Never mind, he was peddling drugs, walking through his neighborhood, and he actually attacked George Zimmerman, the white Hispanic. 
You know, same thing with Michael Brown. This is the same kind of BS. This is also the punchable face of the Covington Catholic kids, you know, standing out waiting for their bus, wearing their MAGA hats. Some Native American guy beating a drum in their face just shows up. The media wants an outcome. They want racism. They want sexism. They want Islamophobia. And if they're going to find a way to massage a situation to the point where it becomes somehow within the margin of error, error and to even come close to becoming pertinent to the predetermined conclusions of those whom they despise politically and even culturally. And so they continue to, they continually do these little incidents on purpose. You know, this is where they can report something in the headlines. A couple days later, after the truth is revealed and shown to be a lie, they can quietly retract it. No one saw it. You know, they do this as a slow chipping away. This is them crafting that sculptural bust. You know, they're trying to build a sculpture of racism, homophobia, sexism. You know, everybody who is on one side is evil. The faux morality. This is the same morality of individuals who want to go up to a pro-life reporter and basically say, hey, I hope you get raped. Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do anything because to you. you're an idiot. You're dumb. You have no brain in that body. I don't know how you got a biology degree, darling. You want to laugh at me like that? I am laughing at you. I hope somebody f- holds you down and rapes you. Wow. Very tolerant, guys. You're wishing rape on me. Yes, those are the purveyors of morality. They are the arbiters of decency. Fighting for women's rights protesting for Planned Parenthood, pro-life woman comes out there just questioning them, and they tell them, hey, I hope you get raped. (laughs) But that's what we're dealing with. You know, they're chipping away at the and building the narrative. And eventually, you just have to assume that, you know, racism is rampant because of all these little stories, and sexism is rampant. It's very similar to what lawyers do in front of a jury. You know, when the lawyer's questioning someone on the stand, and the other lawyer goes, oh, man, he starts throwing statements out left and right that are, you know, leading the, leading the, the witness or they're, they're implicating things that, you know, haven't been proven. And the other lawyer says, I object. And the judge says, overruled. Well, why would they throw out all these statements? It's because they know that even though a lawyer is going to object and the judge is going to overrule it and it's going to be stricken from the record, you've already planted it in the minds of the jury. You've already planted that that meme, that narrative. So this is what they do in the news media. You know, they know it'll be taken off the record because, you know, it wasn't true or it was misleading, but they've planted the actual idea. And this is what they're doing. And they do it off of emotion. They take an emotional situation and they try to build this this situation up, this narrative. And the only reason why I bring this little stupid little argument up, this dumb story that should be a non-story is because this is what they're also doing on the grander scale. This is what they're doing to President Trump in Ukraine. You know, the Ukrainians had an investigation on Hunter Biden. We talked about Hunter Biden and how he got a little sweetheart deal from his father as vice president flying over in Air Force Two getting a gig with Burisma. You know, he had zero energy experience. Next thing you know, he gets a a spot on the board, 50,000 a month. It's a really sweet gig. Well, the Ukrainians were like, something doesn't smell right with Burisma, started investigating him. That's when Biden decides, hey, I'm going to hold this over your head. Let's play that clip again. Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." 
Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. So, yeah, Biden's basically saying, hey, you better fire the investigator while being vice president. And uh, if you don't, we won't give you the aid. And son of a bee, he was fired. Yep. That's no nepotism there. No uh, abuse of power and influence of using foreign aid. So then when Trump congratulates the new Ukrainian president who was elected on the platform of looking into removing the corruption from Ukraine, when he calls to congratulate him and he starts talking a little bit about the Biden thing, hey, uh, you guys looking into that? The news media, because they know that you may not know the backstory because they didn't report on it at all, they can twist it and say, well, see, Trump is actually asking the Ukraine to investigate the Bidens so that they can use it as political dirt and he can win the election if Joe Biden becomes the nominee. That's not the case. <laughs> He's looking into investigating all the players in the fake Russian situation. You remember Australia, the UK, the Five Eyes, they all got involved in helping the Obama administration the bureaucracy, the FBI, the DNI, the NSA, the CIA, they all work together. Ukrainian, the, the Ukrainians were pushing information to sources that had Russian backgrounds so that they could use that in the Steele dossier. Come to find out that Russian spy that we pulled out recently because they were worried about his safety because Trump might jeopardize it. Well, he had the same information that so did Steele did. Yet, those in the FBI didn't get the same information that the CIA did, but it was identical. So, they were laundering the information that that guy had, which was faulty at best, through Christopher Steele because he had a resume, he had a past of credibility with his time in MI5 with, you know, those in, uh, in, in, in United States intelligence and foreign intelligence, and that's how they were able to pull the FISA warrants. So... The news media is giving you a false story on every level. How do we even turn them on? In fact, I would say just turn them off. Go find some credible sources. Washington Post isn't going to be one. New York Times isn't going to be one. CNL, uh, CNN sure as hell ain't going to be one. But even Fox is faulty at best. So we're going to get into a little bit of uh, Biden's, Hunter Biden's uh, little timeline of... Uh, Interesting jobs and, and incidents here in just a second. All right, so now while the news media is perpetuating Jesse Smollett hoaxes, nappy dreadlocks, nappy dreadlocks being, uh, well, that's my uh, <laughs> HR uh, Bob Marley scream. While they're talking about nappy dreadlocks being cut and, uh, you know, fake hoaxes like Jesse Smollett, they're not talking about what has happened with Hunter Biden. Now, Hunter Biden has a pretty storied past. This is from the National Review. They kind of put it into an article that Jim Garrity wrote. Hunter Biden, the most comprehensive timeline is the name of the article. From being appointed senior MBA NA vice president two years out of law school to a gift of a 2.8 carat diamond from a Chinese energy tycoon to Burisma Holdings. Late summer 2006, Hunter Biden and his uncle James Biden purchased the hedge fund Paradigm Global Advisors. According to an unnamed executive quoted in Politico, James Biden declared to employees on his first day, don't worry about investors. We've got people all around the world who are willing to invest. They're willing to invest in Joe Biden. At this time, Joe Biden is months away from becoming chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and launching his second bid for president. The unnamed executive who spoke to Politico charged that the purchase of the fund was designed to work around campaign finance laws. That's the way all of these 501c4s are. Clinton Foundation, you know, they're all designed to go around campaign fin finance law. But anyways, going back to the article, um, so... According to the executive, James Biden made it clear that he viewed the fund as a way to take money from rich foreigners who could not legally give money to his older brother or his campaign account. 
quote, we've got investors lined up in a line of 747s filled with cash ready to invest in this company. Maybe the same 747s that took all that money to Iran. Who knows? Back to the article. Um, both James and Hunter Biden have denied to Politico that James ever had made these comments. Up until that time, Hunter Biden had been employed as a consultant to the Delaware Bank MBNA with a hundred thousand a year retainer, according to the New York Times. The bank hired him fresh out of law school. Imagine that. He gets a gig that quickly. It's amazing. And Less than two years promoted him to senior vice president. Biden also separately worked as a lobbyist until 2008, founding the firm Okadere Biden and Bel Air, where he represented mostly universities and hospitals, but also drug companies such as Achagon Inc. and Pulmatrix Inc. and the music sharing company Napster and online gambling sites. Hunter said he never lobbied for his father on any client matter, but the potential for an appearance for a conflict of interest allegedly troubled the uh, senator at one point. According to the court records in a lawsuit filed by former business partner Joseph Lotito, Joe Biden wanted Hunter Biden to find a different line of work. Now, why did he want him to find a different line of work? Well, that was because his presidential campaign would be greatly complicated if he remained the father of a Washington lobbyist. Yeah, I would say so. Now, we get into, in 2007, Hunter Biden steps down as the interim chief of Paradigm Global Advisors, but the company announces he will remain in his position. 2007, James and Hunter Biden countersue Lotito, arguing that he lied about his professional credentials and finances. 2007, again, Biden's presidential campaign uh, pays Hunter Biden's firm, Oak Day, uh, Old Dacre, Biden, and Bel Air LLP, $20,256 for legal work for his campaign. By the end of Biden's bid, his campaign will pay Hunter's law firm $143,000 for, quote, legal services. <laughs> Unbelievable. And it goes on. In 2008, an outside audit of Paradigm by the firm of Briggs, Bunting, and Doherty finds a, quote, failure to reconcile investment advisors' reimbursement of fund expenses, failure to reconcile and review cash account on a timely basis, and failure to reconcile and review various other accounts on a timely basis. In August 23, 2008, Barack Obama announces that Joe Biden will be his running mate. On the following day, Obama campaign officials, quote, acknowledge that the connection between the Bidens and the bank MBNA the enormous financial services company, then based in their home state of Delaware, was one of the most sensitive issues they examined while vetting the senator for a spot on the ticket. So Hunter Biden has things going back to 2008. Never mind the fact that uh, he got kicked out of the uh, armed, surface, uh, armed services, I think he was in the Navy, for uh, cocaine. You know, he's doing blow off of hookers behinds, and next thing you know, he's out of the military. You've got Burisma. He suddenly becomes the uh, board of an energy company without any experience in the energy sector, getting paid 50000 a year. And when they're investigated, as you heard in the clip, Joe Biden decides, hey, you're not going to get any aid until you take that investigator off my son's account. Get him off his case. Drop it and we'll see what happens. Well, the new Ukrainian president was elected for anti-corruption. And I think what we might be getting from Attorney General Barr is something similar if Donald Trump stays on it. Back in just a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So we know Joe Biden and his son have a storied past. Lots of quid pro quo, lots of hookup deals. And, you know, we listened to Joe Biden give his little rant about how he hung funds over the Ukraine's uh, prosecutors' heads to push out the prosecutor who was looking into his son and the energy company that he was a part of. And the first thing that gets really interesting about this whole situation, and I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds because there's other people out there who have better resources, better access, have been following this more closely. Um, the funniest thing is there's pictures of Joe Biden playing golf with his son and the people with Burisma. But here is what Joe Biden said 
about the situation. And this is actually something that Trump tweeted out, which is master level trolling. Just listen to the statement and then listen to what follows. I'll have to narrate since we don't have a uh, video. But yeah, just check this out. Have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Look at this photograph. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's the Ukrainian gas ex- executive. There's Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. Uh, yeah, they were all playing golf. Look at that. <laughs> Master level trolling on Donald Trump's behalf. And some interesting things came out um, along with all of this was some documents were just dumped not too long ago. You should see these things. In fact, let's go through what is one of the, uh, the investigator, Victor Shonkin, or Shokin. Let's go through his uh, witness statement. Victor Shokin. I make this statement at the request of lawyers acting for Dmitry Furtash, known as DF, for use in legal proceedings in Austria. I do so entirely involuntary without any threat of indictment. I am a former general prosecutor of the Republic of Ukraine. I worked in the general prosecutor's office of Ukraine from May 1980 to April 3rd, 19, uh, 2016 at different times. I was deputy prosecutor of Ukraine on three separate occasions from 2002 to 2003, from 2005 to 2007, and from 2014 to 2015. I was general prosecutor of Ukraine from... February 10th, 2015 to April 3rd, 2016, I was dismissed from the position of general prosecutor in the circumstances I set out below. In this witness statement, I explained that during the period in which I worked as general prosecutor of Ukraine, DF, who we talked about earlier, announced publicly that he would return to the Ukraine to address the employers of Ukraine on December 2nd, 2015 to launch his plan for the modernization of Ukraine. U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, who represented the U.S. in its relations with Ukraine, together with Poroshenko and others in Ukraine, such as the Minister of Foreign of Internal Affairs, took steps aimed at preventing DF's return to Ukraine. They resorted to extreme and desperate measures to do this. Indeed, I found out from speeches given by Minister of Internal Affairs Avakov, which were published in the media, that internal affairs authorities have been investigating three criminal cases under which criminal charges could have been brought against DF. The media went on to report that if DF returned to Ukraine, he could have been detained and arrested. However, this was merely a pretext to take further action aimed at stopping DF from coming to the Ukraine. Then Avakov, let's get that right, these daggone Ukrainian names, stated in the media that DF would be arrested and prosecuted in Ukraine on U.S. charges, that this was allegedly possible under Ukrainian law and that the U.S. state officials at the time had requested this action. However, I can testify that as general prosecutor, I did not receive any evidence of materials from anyone to support DF's involvement in criminality. I transpired that the actions above did not deter DF from returning, so the Ukrainian government organized and endorsed a unit of ultra-right militant of the Azov Battalion to threaten DF by posting pictures of military-clad and armed members of the unit wearing masks and patrolling the airport and waiting for DF to arrive. In addition, the media also reported that Ukraine had closed its airspace to private jets. Therefore, it is clear to me that certain U.S. officials from President Obama's administration, in particular the U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, directly manipulated the political leadership of Ukraine on false pretext in order to prevent DF from returning to Ukraine as they were so concerned about him reestablishing public life there. DF did not travel to Ukraine. Vice President Joe Biden did where he met with President Poroshenko on December 6th and addressed the RADA on December 8th. It goes on. If the U.S. presidential administration had indeed wanted to prosecute DF, the correct legal procedure would have been followed. DF should have been subjected to the official procedure of criminal prosecution upon his arrival in Ukraine on the basis of materials officially provided by the U.S., and a detailed analysis of all the evidence and relevant legal provisions in full compliance with Ukrainian law. In the absence of sufficient evidence, he would either have been acquitted or or the criminal proceedings would have been terminated. Consequently, all allegations against him would have been cleared. 
However, instead of this, state officials from the U.S. presidential administration, who had substantial evidence on the entire law enforcement system of Ukraine, my own dismissal being evidence of such influence, see below, did not take any actions in regards to bringing criminal charges against DF in Ukraine. Therefore, I believe that having realized that they could not mount a sustainable prosecution in Ukraine and following their recent loss in respect of the extradition case in Austria, they took active steps in order to block his return to Ukraine. Had DF arrived in Ukraine, there was a real possibility of an attempt being made on his life, whether on orders or unilaterally by an extremist serving his country. And I hereby confirm that as general prosecutor, I would have never been permitted uh, I would have never permitted DF to be detained for political reasons, especially as I know for a fact there were no criminal grounds on which to detain and prosecute him. This instance of interference in Ukraine's affairs by U.S. officials to achieve U.S. objectives, barring DF's return to public life in Ukraine, was closely followed by another instance of interference, namely forcing Poroshenko to dismiss me because of my actions as general prosecutor did not suit the interest of the U.S. Vice President Biden and the persons connected to him. <laughs> so therein lies what, what he was talking about. Dangling the aid over the head of this prosecutor. Dangling the aid over the head, uh, the head of the Ukrainian government and saying, you better get rid of this guy or you're not going to get the money. And son of a bitch, they got rid of him. He says, I now set out the details. The general prosecutor of Ukraine is appointed to the office by the president of Ukraine with the consent of Verokhanova Rada, known as the Rada, i.e. Parliament, and was accordingly appointed during the presidency of President Poroshenko. Now it goes on. He, it says, The circumstances of my dismissal were that I tendered my resignation to the Rada, the Parliament, at the request of President Poroshenko. Poroshenko asked me to resign due to pressure from the U.S. presidential administration, in particular from Joe Biden, who was the U.S. vice president. Biden was threatening to withhold U.S. money, $1 billion in aid, in subsidies to the Ukraine until I was removed from office. After I yielded to the president's request and submitted my voluntary resignation, Poroshenko commented about it in the media. He said that I had carried out a colossal amount of work as general prosecutor, which is something none of my predecessors have been able to do especially with regards to my work on reforming the different bodies of the prosecutor's office, on creating the specialized anti-corruption prosecutor's office, which enabled the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine to conduct legal work, and on creating a self-governing prosecution of authorities. The official reason put forward for my dismissal was that I had allegedly failed to secure the public's trust. Poroshenko and other state officials, including representatives of the United States presidential administration had never previously had any complaints about my work. However, there were no grievances against me or any allegations that I had stated anything of any kind or committed any anti-corruption or criminal effect, uh, offenses. Biden never stated anything of that kind either. Furthermore, all sanctions in respect of Yanukovych and his supporters remain in force and were not lifted until I occupied the post. Moreover, these sanctions were extended. Now, remember, Yanukovych is the guy who was a Putin puppet who Tony Podesta, Paul Manafort, they helped. He beat, um, what's his name? The guy who got poisoned with the dioxin. Um, Yarnikov, I can't remember his name, but he was the guy who was brought in uh, during the Bush administration. He was voted in to Ukraine and then they poisoned him in a restaurant with dioxin. His face has never been the same I mean, he took a dramatic turn, but he survived the, po the poison event. And then he was eventually beaten with the help of uh, Paul Manafort and Tony Podesta and, and their organization, which propped up Yanukovych, which was a, P a Putin puppet. And after Yanukovych was run out of town on the rails, Poroshenko came in. And so this is where it goes on. The truth is that I was forced out because I was leading a wide-ranging corruption probe into Burisma Holdings, a natural gas firm active in Ukraine, and Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, was a member of the board of directors. I assume Burisma, which was connected with gas extraction, had the support of the U.S. Vice President Joe Biden because his son was on the board of directors. On several occasions, President Poroshenko asked me to have a look at the criminal case against Burisma and consider the possibility of winding down the investigative actions in respect to this company, 
but I refused to close the investigation. Therefore, I was forced to leave office under direct intense pressure of Joe Biden and the U.S. administration. Now, remember, the crux of the impeachment that the Democrats are leading against Donald Trump is because of the fact that he picked up the phone, congratulated the Ukrainian president, the new one, and said, hey, by the way, can you look into my presidential candidate here? Can you investigate him? Right here in the documents that I just read to you shows you that this guy was already investigating without any prompting of the United States government. He didn't need us to start the investigation. He was doing it anyways. And what happened was Biden said, oh, you better stop this investigation, held USAID over his head, and he stopped it while he was vice president. So who's the quid pro quo? Who's the corrupt master here? Who is abusing his power at the time? That would be Joe Biden. Now, for the Democrats' insidious behavior in this whole thing, if you remember, the, the way this all started was Donald Trump has this phone call with the Ukrainian president, and then they say, oh, well, you know, he's ordering an investigation into his political rivals. It's time for impeachment. So then Trump goes out of his way and releases the transcripts for the phone call. Of course, they take a whole portion of the phone call between where he says, hey, um, were you guys doing this? Or, you know, they basically cut out the context of the middle of the phone call to make it seem like Donald Trump called him up and said, hey, can you spy on my political rivals? So they're going, oh, that's abuse of power. They did this with Australia, too. You know, in Australia, um, what was going on there was Mifsud, uh, Alexander Downer, all those people were involved in the spying on Donald Trump. You know, Joseph Mitzvah's the guy who went before the FBI and said, hey, I've got all this information. I met with Papadopoulos over in the UK at a bar. He told me all this information that he's got Russian information and he was, and Mitzvah tried to play himself off as a Russian agent. He's actually, a, I think he's Italian intelligence. And Alexander Downer, who met with, or who tried to meet with uh, George Papadopoulos, he was Australian intelligence. So Donald Trump has... Attorney General Bill Barr going out and investigating. And so when you see Trump calling the Australian leader and Trump calling the Ukrainian leader, then they want to turn this into, oh, it's a witch hunt against his political rivals when actually he's looking into what happened with the Russian collusion hoax. And so you've got William Barr being commissioned all over the place to investigate. And Donald Trump confirmed all this. He said, oh, yeah. He's taking a trip over to Italy. He's taking a trip over to Australia. That's putting the fear of God in everybody on the left who has been upholding this ruse to remove Donald Trump because of what they'll find on the other side. The illegal FISA warrant spying, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court weaponized against a private citizen running for political office, spying on him when it should have never been used against him, unmasking individuals in the United States like Flynn and what have you to gain access and there's so many things that were just disturbing. It's like Watergate on crack. And other people, like I've said, have gotten more into it. But this last hit was forceful. It was a hit job. The whistleblower, the statement they put out, looked like a legal team put it together. And then the whistleblower was able to use secondhand knowledge because of a change, a recent change in the whistleblower uh, regulations. They changed this just a few months ago and then changed the form just about a week or two ago. So this guy was able to use secondhand information, not even firsthand, to say, well, I heard from this guy who said that this thing was bad, this phone call was bad, and we need to impeach him. Seriously? And the guy running cover for all this was Adam Schiff. This idiot, Representative Adam Schiff, he got out there and told a couple narratives on the floor uh, of the House just so that it could be on record. And it was all BS. It wasn't even things that Donald Trump said. And now he's out there trying to say, well, you know, um, we didn't really have conversations with the whistleblower. Listen to this. Hey, Congressman, a couple, a couple questions here um, on this whistleblower front. Uh, first off, have you heard from the whistleblower? Um, are you, do you want to hear from the whistleblower? What protections could you uh, provide to the whistleblower? And then you also said that the DNI is refusing to turn over this stuff, citing uh, a request from a higher authority. The insinuation uh, left, at least for me and others, was that uh, the president himself 
had intervened. Is that the insinuation you sought to provide? And if so, what basis do you have for making that insinuation? Uh, we have not spoken directly with the whistleblower. Uh, we would like to, but I'm sure the whistleblower has concerns that he has not been advised, as the law requires, by the inspector general or the director of national intelligence. Oh, but that's where it gets good. <laughs> that's where it gets good because it has come out. <laughs> New information has arrived. It always does. This thing blows up in their face all the time. The whistleblower alerted House Intel Committee staffer to the outlines of his accusations against Trump before filing his complaint, giving Schiff an early clue to what the administration was initially blocking from the IG from delivering to Congress. He got an early clue. He just told everybody that he never spoke to him, never had contact with him directly. Of course, Adam Schiff has to get in there and do damage control. And he gets out there on on, on the Twitter sphere and puts out this load of utter BS. When a whistleblower seeks guidance, staff advise them to get counsel and to go to an IG. That's what they're supposed to do. Unlike a president pressing a foreign leader to dig up dirt on a political opponent, that's not what a president's supposed to do, and we all know it. Well, we know what a whistleblower's supposed to do, and it wasn't to meet with you beforehand. So this whole thing stinks. Whatever was going on, this was a coordinated hit against Trump, and Trump knows it. But I think, let's play that clip again of Donald Trump talking about what William Barr is going to do, Attorney General Barr, and I think it's put the fear of God in them because of what they're about to uncover. The Attorney General is one of the most respected people in this country, and he has been for a long period of time. He's going to look at a lot of documents. Some he might find interesting, maybe he'll find none interesting. But for over a year, people have asked me to declassify. So what I've done is I've declassified everything. He can look. And I hope he looks at the UK. And I hope he looks at Australia. And I hope he looks at Ukraine. I hope he looks at everything. Because there was a hoax that was perpetrated on our country. It's the greatest hoax. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's the greatest hoax probably in the history of our country. And somebody has to get to the bottom of it. We'll see. But for a long period of time, they've wanted me to declassify, and I did. And yes, yeah, speaking of Rod Rosenstein, check this out. Judicial Watch releases 145 pages of Rosenstein's uh, communications that include an email from Rosenstein to Mueller stating, quote, the boss and his staff don't know about our discussions and, quote, off-the-record emails with media outlets around the date of Mueller's appointment. And I told you, all of them are corrupt. Rosenstein tried to seem like he was this arbiter of, you know, unbiased, unpartisan stature, but he's not. On May 8, 2017, Rosenstein wrote a memo to Donald Trump recommending that Comey be fired. The next day, Trump fired Comey. Just three days later, Rosenstein sent an email assuring Mueller that, quote, the boss and his staff do not know about our discussions. <laughs> Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton, quote, these astonishing emails further confirm the dishonest corruption behind Rosenstein's appointment of Robert Mueller. Of course, I'm not going to get excited until somebody gets indicted. Tired of these things coming out. You know, Comey got a slap on the wrist on his thing, but there wasn't much to hold on that IG report towards Comey. The real thing that's really interesting is Trump has already stated he has unredacted the IG report itself. It just hasn't been released to the public. William Barr got to see it. And now William Barr is making the world tour. I'm on a world tour with my mic in my hand. You know, he's, he's out there like Tribe Called Quest doing the world tour, meeting with foreign intelligence from Italy, from UK, from Britain, from Australia. Well, UK and Britain are the same. You get what I'm saying. He's going around town getting the information. So the IG report seems to be the crux of what's coming out. Now, what we have to realize is, yeah, we get a report from Horowitz, you know, the uh, IG. Well, that's just a finding of matters. That's not, hey, I recommend indicting. That means don't go and do this. Let's put him in jail. All it means is this is what happened. This is what we found. Now it's got to be turned over. And it looks like Mark Meadows, Devin Nunes, Jim Jordan, Lindsey Graham, they're all on board doing something. 
Hopefully. Now, hopefully they don't just cower like they typically do. Hopefully they actually stand up and try to do something and uphold the rule of law to root out the corruption to, quote, drain the swamp. Maybe we're finally going to get some swamp draining. I would say it's going to be more appropriate and more interesting if it happens around the election cycle. Again, that works out in Trump's favor swimmingly. And of course, I didn't vote for Trump, but I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden, Mr. Corruption, who's going to put his family in places of high power to get tons of money. I'm not going to vote for Elizabeth Warren, who wants to destroy Wall Street and who is basically picking up Bernie Sanders uh, platform, which, of course, Bernie Sanders, you know what? We are not like the left. We do thoughts and prayers for everybody. Bernie Sanders had somewhat of a heart issue. Um, They had emergency surgery. They put two stents in. Apparently, he's doing fine. We're going to pray for Bernie Sanders, even though he may not like our prayers. Even though he may not like our thoughts and prayers, we're giving it to you anyways, because that's how Christians do. You know what? That's how we roll. But I'm not going to vote for that. I'm not going to vote for Pete Buttigieg, the homosexual Christian who doesn't even subscribe to the real tenets of Christianity, who's going to get out there and say that any hate crime, whatever hate crime is, is going to be a reason for you to lose your Second Amendment rights. Nah, not going to do it. <laughs> because anybody that has a criticism towards Pete Buttigieg because of his sexual persuasion is committing a hate crime, I guess. I'm not going to vote for somebody who is trigger happy and uh, power happy or power hungry like Kamala Harris or even, you know, <clears throat> Beto O'Rourke out there trying to take everybody's guns away. The left wants to ruin you. The progressives have taken over the party and they want to destroy everything that you love about this nation. So we're not going to let them do that. And the only solution right now is not Bill Weld, who wants to put Trump in jail or execute him. It's not Joe Walsh. It's not Justin Amash. It's the guy we have in power right now, the bull in the China shop, and that is Donald Trump. So before we wrap up the program, let's go ahead and bookend with a little something that we learned about the original story that we talked about in the beginning. (laughs) Let's go ahead and check out Amari Allen, some new information. The local TV reporter in Washington, D.C., Mikia Turner, or Micah Turner, actually, was the first to report on the discredited story of Amari Allen, a 12-year-old black girl who said white classmates cut off her dreadlocks while calling her an attention seeker. Well, Turner spent the hours before the supposed attack advocating for a, quote, natural hair law that would criminalize discrimination based on dreadlocks, then use the incident as evidence for why such law should be enacted. Well, here's another part that's pretty interesting. Amari's family owns a beauty company called Still Natural. You let that soul glow! Still Natural, that Turner promoted on the air in 2018. The TV station removed all video and articles about the supposed attack and did not include Alan's name in the brief story, acknowledging that it was a hoax. Well, you know, you know what they say. Dem naughty dreadlocks no gonna sell themselves, man. We all... Well, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, this is from the Daily Caller. And actually reported by um, the Daily Caller uh, just the other day. The local reporter who first pushed the hoax that white boys pinned down a 12-year-old black girl and cut off her dreadlocks advocated for laws protecting the hairstyle hours before the attack. The reporter also used the claims by the Virginia fa- uh, girl's family, which runs a natural cosmetics company that the reporter has previously promoted on air as justification for the laws. So this was all contrived. You don't say this isn't Jesse Smollett. You know, he's out there buying a hoagie from, from Subway at 2 a.m. after having some beverages. It's like 20 below. It's in Chi-Town. That's not exactly MAGA Mecca. And what happens? Oh, two guys, which are caught on video is looking like two big burly black guys um, going into a hardware store buying ropes and red hats. These two guys who are MAGA guys who said this is MAGA country beat his ass and threw bleach on him, I guess because they thought it was going to Michael Jackson, Jesse Smollett. I don't know. And then wrapped a, wrapped a noose around his neck to which he decided to use as a fashionable necktie for the rest of the day holding it around his neck, wearing it without taking it off at one point, just so the cops show up hours later and see it. This is the kind of crap that we deal with. 
This is the kind of news malfeasance that we deal with. They don't want to report on what's happening in the Ukraine and the DNC. They do want to elevate what a liar Adam Schiff is. They do want to elevate impeachment talks based on a telephone call. They don't want to report on the fact that there is no racial incident going on in Virginia where no kids were hanging, uh, pushing down a black girl and cutting her dreadlocks off. Everything the news media says is complete horse manure. It's, it's basically cow chips. It is garbage. So realize that. The news media is lying to you. You have to do your own homework. This is the reason for my podcast, because after I do my homework, I like to put it together and report it for you. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 5 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to Mojo5o.com. Every Wednesday, 10 p.m., You can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.